I started a series several weeks ago and, uh, on transformation. And the first week I talked about uh, a national transformation. We'll get into that a little bit today. And, and then the last week I was here, I sang to my beloved wife and talked about marriage transformation. We've been married 40 years. How many know Jesus can do something in your marriage if you let him? Now, you listen, I've counseled for, my goodness, uh, most of my ministry life uh, for 38 years, and I've seen everything that can be seen, heard everything probably that can be heard, and then some as people struggle with their marriage and relationships, even as believers. But I'm telling you, if you'll, if you'll let yourself go, live an unselfish life, put the other person before you, how many know marriage can work? Marriage doesn't work well, however, when there's a person who is self-centered and conniving. How many hear me? And if you're married to a person that, like that, well, you have the responsibility to love them, even though they may not love you back. Hello? So anyway, I'm not talking about marriage. I could get on that, but uh, boy, I feel like I've hooked up something here. I want to preach on everything I talk about. So uh, anyway, uh, today I want to talk about a new life from uh, a new birth, and this summer, uh, just to frame this a little bit, I took 10 weeks and we talked about the challenges that we face in America, uh, the challenges the church in America faces, challenges pastors face, and challenges just individual believers face in America today, fleshing out our faith, putting shoe leather on what we believe and really, and really walking it out. And it's a real challenging day because the because the lifestyle of our culture is so different than the lifestyle that Jesus has uh, given us a pattern to follow, right? And so uh, we find ourselves challenged. So uh, today I want to uh, show from a biblical perspective why things are going downhill and how you personally can make a difference. 1 Peter 3, 15, 16 says this. Uh, Peter said, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. He said, here, always be ready to share with someone why you have a smile on your face, why you're not down in the dumps, why you're not gloom and, a gloom and doom thinker, why you're a, not a pessimist, you're an optimist. The reason is because Jesus is in your life, right? It's really easy to get a pessimistic attitude when we see all of the things that we're challenged with. In fact, uh, the answer is, uh, is, is a spiritual thing, it's not a natural thing. How many know there's no politician that has the answers for what we face today? Not one. No, there's not a politician. There's not a business person. There's not an individual. There's only one answer to the problems that we face today. It's a spiritual answer. The problems that we face are spiritual problems. Don't forget the Apostle Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but demonic forces that are seeking to hinder our walk with God. And perhaps more than any other time since I've been alive in the United States, we're facing pressures that seem to be mounting more and more as the weeks and months go by. And we're facing pressures to, that, that want to move us away from the Judeo-Christian ethic that really made our nation great. I wrote in my notes as I was thinking about this week, listen to this paragraph, our country as a whole is in the middle of a moral, ethical, political, and cultural change 
that is redefining America as we've known it, the central truths of honesty, integrity, hard work, personal restraint have been replaced, listen, or trying to be replaced by a belief system that pushes immorality, dishonesty, personal self-centered thinking, and includes any and all behaviors as long as you accept anyone and everything as okay except a Christian belief system. Is that true? If you're in college, I mean, most of your professors are going are gonna to encourage you to toe the line and, and they're not going to say anything positive about Christianity. They'll say a lot of positive things about other religions, but there's something about Jesus that offends a person that doesn't know Christ. And so it's just the way our world is right now. So we have some huge challenges that we're facing in America. Then beyond that, you know, Susan and I took a week's break. And, uh, you know, you look at a little bit of news online or whatever. I get mine eclectically from a number of places. And, and this, uh, this mess that we see going on in Washington, D.C., you know. And, and uh, one party's against the other. And now they're wanting to uh, impeach the president and all the stuff, all the bitter talk and all of the... Uh, lambasting that both parties are doing with each other. Uh, you know, it's a huge challenge to say, well, what do you make of that? What do you make of that, Pastor Mitch? Well, here's one thing you need to realize. Our Constitution was written for uh, uh, people who had a moral standard or a basis for living. And the Constitution of the United States and the Republic, Democratic Republic that we live in as a nation, it's not, it's not made for people that have, don't, do not have a moral compass. How many hear me? And because we've chosen, a lot of people are choosing to leave that moral compass aside. And and with the ideology, anything goes. There's neither right nor wrong. Uh, You do what you want to do if in that particular circumstance it's the convenient thing to do. And if it will move you forward, do that. Friends, if we do that, we will fail. Now, I love history. I love to read history. I read history books. I watch history documentaries and you know, there's an uncanny parallel between right now, and I mentioned this this summer, between uh, the United States and Israel when they forsook God, began to worship pagan, pagan gods. They began to go down and they actually lost their nation and were actually taken off as a people group, taken off the land that God had uh, promised their forefather Abraham for 70 years. And, and uh, we, 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 there's an uncanny parallel between what's happening in America and what happened with Israel. And then, you know, Rome was, was a huge, huge, uh, just a huge um, effect all over the world. They were the, they were the strongest country for, for many, 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 many generations. But the reason that Rome lost their lost their place in the world was because of their immoral living and the lifestyles that they chose. They chose to forsake integrity, honesty, etc., and they chose to do what they wanted to do regardless of how it affected their neighbor. And they lost their, they lost their influence in the world. And that's where America is right now. We are at a crossroads. How many hear me? And you know we are and you feel that we are. And now at my age, I have five grandchildren and, you know, this thought comes up to me regularly. Are my grandchildren going to enjoy the lifestyle that I've known, you know, in my years of living? And unless we make a change, they won't. And that's your concern to every single one of us. If you're older, you may think, well, I've lived my life. I'm doing good. Well, you know what? You selfish rascal, you need to repent because there's a lot of people that need Jesus. How many hear me? 
So we all can make a difference. In fact, you know, there, I mentioned this so many times. There was an awakening in America in the early 1700s before uh, our Constitution was written that, he, that actually caused a lot of biblical values and God's name to be placed in the, in the for, formative writings, the constitutional things and the laws that made our nation great. You go to Washington, D.C., and there are scriptures on the buildings. Why is it that way? It's because Judea Christian ethic, that is the Ten Commandments and the belief system of Jesus Christ has molded this nation. Not everybody's been a Christian, but enough people were that the laws that made us great were founded on what we call a Judeo-Christian ethic. And one thing about the Judeo-Christian ethic is this, the base foundation of that is uh, that belief system says uh, human beings are corrupt to the core. And because human beings are not good in and of themselves, they need to be governed well, they need to be looked over well. And so our Constitution is an unusual Constitution. We've got three branches of government, executive, legislative, judicial. Why do we have three branches of government? Because absolute power corrupts a person absolutely. And our forefathers knew that, so they're supposed to balance each other out. That's why there's the wrangling right now between Democrats, between Republicans, the House, the Senate, the Judiciary, the et cetera, the White House. Why is all that wrangling going on? Because our forefathers knew if one person gets all the power, a dictatorship can occur. And how many know you got to be careful with that? So they wrote it in that, that there's got to be a balance of powers. And then, and then because people are astute liars, Jesus said to the most religious uh, people of his day, you are of your father, the devil. And then later on he said, uh, he was a liar and did not abide in truth, and so do you. So the most religious people of this day, he said because they're liars, Satan was their father. And because the human race, the badge of the human race is deceit. And because there's such opportunity for deceit, we've got a Bill of Rights which basically uh, guarantees each citizen of the United States uh, certain rights so that they can live in liberty and in freedom without a government controlling them and telling them what they can do. Why are all these things established governmentally? It's because of the sinful nature of the human race. And, and now because such deceit and misinformation is everywhere, we're all wondering, what are we going to do? Who can we believe? How many hear what I'm saying? And so the, what's the next question? You say, well, what are the answers to the problems that we hear about regularly on the news? You read about however get, you get your con news content. What are the answers to these things? They're not political answers, my friends. There are spiritual, there are spiritual answers, and those are the only ones that will ever, ever work. So you know what? That, that, that brings the equation down to very simply... You and me can make a difference. You can make a difference on your street. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference on the job. You can make a difference wherever you are. Wherever you are, the individual believer can make a difference in our country right now. And it's what we do that can turn the tide. If we'll just live for Jesus, be willing for somebody not to agree with you, spit in your face in opposition while you smile at them and say, I love you deeply and I care about what happens to your life. How many hear me? 
So we can't change ourselves. It takes the power of God to change us. And so the people that you don't like, the people that you disagree with, the people that you hear about are doing this, that, or the other, these people need Christ. They need Jesus. They need life transformation. They need change. And the only way that's ever going to happen is through a new birth. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 13, 23. Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard take away its spots? Well, the obvious answers are no. You can't change your color. If you're an Asian, you'll always be an Asian. If you're an African, you're going to be an African. If you're a Caucasian, you're going to be a Caucasian. You can't change that. A leper can't take away his spots, and the obvious answer is there. Neither can you start doing good, Jeremiah said, for you have always done evil. We can't change ourselves, and the bitterness and the vitriol that we experience in the airwaves today, we can't change that by ourselves. It takes a supernatural power to transform a human heart to create that kind of change. Jesus said this, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life in abundance. Or one translation says, I've come that you may have a rich and satisfying life. So the answer to all of the stuff that we feel and the downward spiral that all of us are witnessing in our nation, uh, it really comes down to what you and I do with the gospel that we've received. Are we going to sit on it and only enjoy it within the four walls of a church? Are we going to put shoe leather on it where we work and where we go to school and and where we do our leisure time and when we're working out and where we're driving down the belt line and, you know, when we're in the stores, when we're around people? Are we going to let the individual light that Jesus gave us shine? Are we going to put it under something and be afraid? This is not a day to be afraid, my friend. How many hear me? So a new life from a new birth. I got six points I want to cover fairly quickly today. Most of you know these things, but you know my job as a pastor and then also as a teacher is not always give you something new, but to remind you of the things that you already know. How many know that's also important? For me, all of my life, and I've been with Jesus, this is my 43rd year and then to my 44th year in Jesus. And you know, uh, the things that have really affected my life are things that I've thought about over and over again, read over over and over again. I've read through the Bible I don't know how many times uh, through the years of my walking with Jesus. There's certain books I read, reread. There's some chapters of books I read and reread. There's some books that are worth reading. Some books you just throw away because the first time wasn't good. But there are others, you read them, you think, you know, I'm going to keep that one because I need... And then there's some chapters, there's some books I have just one chapter makes that much difference. So, you know, for me, going over something over and over again, it's helped me in my personal life. So one of my jobs as pastor is to remind you of what you know and encourage you to get after it and do it, not just hear it, right? So six things here about a new life from a new birth. Number one, we are on the outside a mirror of what we are inside. Yes or no? Our outside world is created by our inner life. What we are inside defines us. In fact, what you want to do, the desires that we have inside, really determine who we are. And Jesus is all about changing desires. How many hear me? You know, if a political leader wants to lie, that says something about what's on the inside of that person. You know, if you want to be a deceitful person, that says something about who you are inside. If you want to do right and treat others with kindness, respect, and fairness, how many know that says a lot about what's on the inside of you? 
Yes or no? I mean, your habits, your appetites, they define, they really define who we are. You know, I've got this illustration. I put a little bit of it in the notes, but you know, you got, you got a donkey and you got a quarter horse. You can take a donkey and feed him the finest food, wash him down really good, make him look really nice, and trim his hoofs, and you can put him out on a, on a track to race, and when the guy shoots the gun, guess what the donkey's going to do? He's probably, hee-haw, and do nothing. I've been, we've got 12 churches in Ethiopia when I say that. I just thought about it just now. I didn't even think about it studying, but um, uh, and, you know, donkeys are, every, you can buy a donkey for $30 in some of these cities. In Ethiopia, you beast of burden, you know. But there's old donkeys like that aggravate those people. I've seen people just beat the snot out of a donkey. Just whoop him with, just whoop him with a switch because he won't listen. Yeah, and just keeps going. Just won't go. Does his own thing. But you can clean a donkey up, put him on that track, and when you shoot the gun, he just lopes off like a donkey because that's what he is. You can take a quarter horse, however, neglect him, feed him some sorry food, do nothing with him. Huh? Uh, never trim his hooves, never do anything for him, just completely neglect him, barely give him enough, sustain his life where you can see his ribs sticking out. Stick him on the racetrack, shoot the gun, and you know what? He takes off. Why? It's in him. What you are is inside of you. And how you behave in life, how many know it's inside of you? And uh, what, we, what we do speaks so loudly about who we are. And how we respond to others has a lot to say about who we are inside. Yes or no? Jesus said this in Mark seven fifteen. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then later on, Mark 7, verse 21. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit. Lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So you know it's not going to do any good for us as believers to get angry at our culture. Get angry at the person that's doing this or acting this way or saying this. It's not going to do any good to get angry with them. They're only doing what's inside. The donkey just does what's inside. The quarter horse just does what's inside. And us as human beings... We live what's inside of us, yes or no. And all of us inherit a nature called sin. Now, this is an interesting take on this. Are y'all listening quick? Because i got a lot to share, and I want to get this through. Listen, to this. This, most, most people don't realize this. The nature of sin is inherent in a human. That's my next, that's my next uh, point. So, but I want to uh, grapple with that just a little bit. That nature of sin can take two, can take two there's two sides to it. And you usually don't hear this, but, but hear me out. There's some people that do not know Jesus. We call them as Christians unsaved people, people that are lost. That means they don't know the Lord. Uh, if you're new to Christianity, we, you say all these things and people have no clue what we're saying. Is that true? But so, so, so you've got a person that does not know Jesus. And here's one person, and, and their demeanor is uh, cruelty, anger, hostility, hurtfulness, abuse, etc. And that's how they treat other people. And they're kind of hostile and uh, easy, easily aggravated. And then you've got another person, uh, equally, they don't know the Lord, but there's a refinement to them. It so it seems they're helpful, they're sweet, they're kind, 
But then also there's another part of that that you don't see. In all of that, they're also self-serving. So the sin nature does two things. Uh, the sin nature can be, can be just really, really uh, 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 nasty and wrong, or it can also turn into human good. And that's the reason a lot of people, they don't think they need Jesus because that human good part comes through them. Probably somewhere in their family, there were believers in the past generations who taught their family to be good, to be kind, to be respectful, to be helpful. How many know when the seeds of godliness don't just last three or four generations, the Old Testament says they last a thousand generations. So if you'll walk with God, the seeds of that godliness show even, even in the ancestry who don't necessarily make Jesus Lord or even walk with God, there's a refinement that comes. How many hear me? Uh, illustration to this, 30, over 30 years ago, I started a church in a small town in South Carolina and there was a businesswoman in the town uh, who was very kind. She reached out to me and actually gave me some information about a building I could rent. I looked for weeks for a building to rent in that little small town. I couldn't find anything, and she was really helpful to me. And she was really kind to me. And I would meet this lady along and along as I set up the church and, you know, got it going and all that. And she was just well-known, well-liked in the city. And, you know, when you saw this lady, she was the sweetest, kindest person. And, you know, it's really strange, but I've, I would get in my car after talking to her, and I had this little conversation in my head with myself. And I thought, you know what? That woman right there, now she doesn't know Jesus. In fact, she'll use a slang word every now and then. But, you know, she's actually nicer than a lot of my church people. People out there. A lot of believers. She's nicer than a lot of believers. And, and I didn't want to have that thought, but, but I had to think it. How many hear me? The sin nature can go two ways. It can be culturally refined and, and has a full of good works. But the bottom line is, I went to see this lady another time. And I had to challenge her on the decision that she was going to make. And, so, and we disagreed. When I disagreed with her, her true color showed. And the selfishness and the self-centeredness. And boy, she, she vented her spleen to me. Let me just say it that way. And I found out a lot about human behavior and human nature. So all of us inherit the sin nature at birth. And uh, the foundation of that sin nature is self-centeredness. Number two in my little thing here, six things about the new birth. At birth, the, the default for all of us is spiritual death. Now, I have to say this, and, you know, I've been knowing this since I was a little boy, but, you know, you hardly hear this today. And so I find myself needing to repeat things that I think all of us probably know, but we don't hear it a lot in our culture. In fact, you don't hear a lot about sin. You don't hear a lot about judgment because our culture doesn't deal with God anymore. How many hear me? And if you don't put God into the equation of life, there's no such thing as sin. Sin is disobedience to God that hurts other people. How many hear me? But if there is no God and you live as though there is no God, then there is no sin to deal with, so there's no, no problem. But the Scriptures teach that all of us, when we are born, we are born into a state called spiritual death. So to put shoe leather on that, so the person that's checking you out at the grocery store today, if you go buy groceries today, that person, if they don't know Jesus, they're in, they're, their life is encased, encapsulated in spiritual death. The people that you work with, your boss, the people that you work with and the cubbies all around you, if they don't know Jesus, you know what? They're walking in the state called spiritual death and demonic forces 
uh, are free to do and act in ways that uh, they want to in their life unless they strongly resist. How many hear me? Uh, the, the people that you uh, see at the office, the people that you see uh, at the school that, uh, that are uh, living on your street, the people that you see driving on the roads as you go to work, every person that you encounter, how often do you think that person, if they don't know Jesus, they're walking in that state the Bible calls spiritual death. And how many know that affects every single one of us until we make Jesus Lord? Your own children, if they don't know the Lord, they're walking in a state called spiritual death. And you wonder why family members act the ways they act and do the things they do and can be so mean and can be so bitter. If you're not letting the the new birth dominate you, if you haven't been born again, the default is spiritual death, separation from God, and all of the negatives that go with it. How many hear me? Some people curb that and hinder that more than others. Some people let it loose more than others do. Romans 5.12 says this, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. Everybody say everyone. For everyone sinned. So I'm a sinner not because I have produced acts of sin. I'm a sinner because I have a nature to sin that I inherited from my parents. How many hear me? Romans 5, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. What is that scripture saying? Because the first man, Adam, and his wife Eve chose to disobey God and do exactly what God told them not to do. They sinned and every person born since Adam and Eve sinned is born in the state called spiritual death. Now, I've read uh, excerpts from the, uh, the uh, fairly new books on child training. And what I've noticed is the new trend in child training is let your child be themselves. Let them do what they want to do and let their personality develop. Now, they're part of that's right. You know, Susan and I have four children and none of them have the same personality and you can't put them all in the same box. You got to let them be who they are. But the other part of that is wrong. You've got to give standards to children. And if you don't give chance standards to children, they'll make their own standards and they'll set their standards so low that anybody can make it and then they'll have a hard time with life. So my challenge as a, pas- as a pastor and then my challenge as a father is to train my children, my spiritual children and my natural children. My job is to show them by how I live what is right. If you think, well, don't do this and don't do that, and you're doing it yourself, it doesn't work. The teacher's got to do what he's teaching. So Romans 5.18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So Adam affects everybody because all of us are born in the state called sin. And how many know we really need to take that to heart and think about it? Think about it in your family. Think about it as Thanksgiving's coming up, as Christmas is coming up, and families often have altercations, and they try to be nicey-nicey while they're eating their turkey and dressing. But underneath the surface, there's some things that are simmering and boiling underneath the surface, and they're angry at each other. Just realize, without Jesus, you're not nice. And if you have people in your family getting together for the holidays that don't know Jesus, that those elements of sin are going to come out in some way. And the major component of sin is self-centeredness. 
that even affects us after we're born again. And the challenge we have as believers is to, is to, is to kick against that natural self-centered tendency that we're raised with from the time we're crying for, from, for a bottle from our mom and dad uh, from the time we're crying to get our diaper changed and then we start crying to have our way and then we start crying our, because our friend took our toy and that's my toy and then we start crying because we don't get our way at school and then, and then we become adults and we're still crying. It's all self-centeredness. How many hear me? It's a huge challenge, right? All of us have inherited this nature called spiritual death. All of us, there are no exceptions. So, you know, <clears throat> train yourself to think this way. Every person that you meet needs the Lord. Do you think that way? Every person that you meet a thousand years from now, their spirit nature will exist. That's how I think. They'll be in heaven or they'll be in hell. <clears throat> One or the other. Not going to live forever. They're, ever. They're trying to come up with elixirs and I keep... I think it's really humorous, these advertisements. Are, you can live a long time. You can erase, erase away all your wrinkles. I don't care how much you exercise, and I exercise a lot. I don't care how many vitamins you take. <clears throat> I don't care what you do to stretch, the, stretch your skin so it's not wrinkly, how many uh, operations you have so you look young. <clears throat> You're going to die. And then after that, the Bible says there's judgment. The good news is there is no judgment for those in Christ. Except that we'll stand before Jesus and give account of how we lived. If you're here today and you're concerned about dying, start being concerned about living for Jesus. Because if you'll live for Jesus, dying will not be a problem. How many hear me? That I just read a book by, yeah, it's just a little small mini book by, I'm off, I've got to get back on my notes. Kenneth Hagin, Friday in my devotional times, just a little small book. Uh, 1934, he died several times from a heart condition. And when he died, his spirit left his body. And that little book is an excerpt of him talking. And I heard him in person talk about that. And he went to hell. And he said when he died, here's, and this is what I got out of the book this time. He never lost consciousness. He said when he died... Everything went numb, toes, legs, torso, body. And he said he leapt out of, his, out of his body through his mouth. He said, I never lost consciousness. He looked down, saw his body. And then he went to hell. Almost went there. I don't have time to tell the story. A voice shook the gates of hell when he got right to the flames. And it was God's voice that evidently told that being to let him go. And he ended up coming to Jesus and had a, Ministry that spanned over 70 years died in 2003, age 86. Now, here's how I think. Every person I meet, they have an encounter with death. And they're going to be in eternity somewhere. What can I do to influence them? Do you think that way? Or do you only think of how upset that person makes you? Or do you only think about what they're doing? And what their life is like right now. Friends, as believers, we need to let people know that we have a hope in Christ. How many hear me? And that, and that Jesus can make a difference. And he can take the fear away from dying. How many hear me? Man, my goodness, there's so much there. Number three, let's go next. The next. God's very nature comes up to live inside of us. 
when we're born again. Jesus said, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, John 3, 3 to, the, uh, to Nicodemus, who was, a, who was a, a Jewish religious leader. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, everybody say born again. You can't even see the kingdom of God. Literally born again, born from above. That is, there's an impartation of spiritual life into the human in the new birth. And literally, that which is dead on the inside that gives, that gives birth to all kinds of sinful activities on the outside literally comes alive when you're born again. There's an absolute heart change. How many hear me? 1 Peter 1, 23, you have been regenerated, amplified New Testament, born again, not from mortal origin, seed or sperm, but from one that is immortal uh, by the ever living and lasting word of God. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Isn't that awesome? Says it again here, Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20. I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people, and I will be their God. In the new birth, there's a heart change. Literally, there's a change in motivations for doing what I do, being what I am, the attitudes that I have, the words that I use. It all changes because literally, and I'll get into this the next time I preach, the very life of God comes to live inside of us in the new birth. That's amazing. God loves us enough that he sent Jesus to cleanse us from our personal sin. And when Jesus cleanses us from sin, he literally literally takes away the, the wrong attitudes, the wrong desires, the wrong behaviors that start inside with self-centeredness. And he places a desire to live right inside of us. That's amazing. Friends, that is a miracle. How many hear me? The first manifestation of this life inside is love. Listen to John, 1 John 3, 14. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead. That's very pointed, but very, very true. Uh, the first manifestation of this is the love of God. For me, I remember, and I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, 40, over 43 years ago when I came to Jesus, I went back to work. I was at a church. I gave my life to Christ. I was changed. I knew it on the inside. And I'd never in my life had that. Now, y'all, I've been in church all my life. My, my parents, I can remember wearing diapers to church. I have a astute memory. <laughs> it's crazy. It's strange. I was in my mother's Sunday school class because I was crying. And I had diapers on. I've been in church all my life, y'all. But for the first time in my life, I gave Jesus my life at seven, almost 18 years of age. The next day, I went back to work. I didn't know what to even think about what happened to me. I was working in a grocery store. There's all kinds of people. And it was crowded with people coming down my aisle. And heretofore, when I saw people, I'd look at them and I'd look for something wrong with them. Or I would make a negative comment in my head. That's a stupid person. There's an idiot. Look how they're dressed. Oh, loud, oh, lousy person. I mean, it was awful what I thought inside about people. But I came, got to work the day after I came to Jesus. I'll never forget. And I was working on my little aisle there doing my little stuff, you know, putting my little cans on the shelf. And I just happened to look up from where I was looking down, getting a can out of a box. And here's a person that come around the, 
come around the gondola and come down my aisle. And when I looked at him for the first, I, I, I didn't even try to do this. It shocked me. First thing I heard inside was, there's a person that Jesus died for. There's a person that God loves. For the first time, instead of looking at all the wrong, I saw the need. I saw them as a human that could have an experience with God. And y'all, I, I didn't know what to do with that. It still blows me away. I, I didn't know how to think about it. It changed who I am. When you come to Jesus, it changes your motivations inside. How many hear me? That there's an impartation of the life of God. Number four, at the new birth, the nature to sin, which breeds the desire to live selfishly, is renewed, moved and replaced by a new nature, which gives you a desire to please God in all things. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Listen to Weiss' translation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So that assuming that anyone is in Christ, <clears throat> he is a new creation in quality. The antiquated, out-of-date things which do not belong to the new life in G Christ Jesus have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in quality. The Living Bible, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Now let me tell you how that affected me all my life. I got into drugs in my teenage years. You've heard my little stories about that. And I almost died of, of uh, you know, because I was, uh, anyway, uh, of my drug use and such. And... Um, and so because of that and the things I'd done, I, I just saw myself as the, as the, you know, I had two brothers. Well, I'm the, I'm the bad apple and the, I'm the one that's rotten in the core. And I often thought of myself, well, you know, you ever eaten an apple? You pick one off the tree or you pick one out of the organic section of the grocery store and you cut it in two and there's a worm inside. Oh, I'm not kidding. I always thought of myself, well, I'm the apple with the worm. Or you cut a piece of fruit in on the inside because it's too old. There's a darkened place. Well, I'm that person. I'm that person inside of me. Things are wrong. Things are not right inside of me. There's something wrong inside of me. There's a deficiency in me. I had a negative self-image. And you know what? When I came to Jesus and I found out when you become, when you come to Christ, you become a new creature. Old things are, are passed away. I had a negative self-image. You know what I did with that? I wrote scripture down. There are scriptures all through the New Testament. Who you are in Christ who you are as a result of what he's done. I started, I wrote those things down on a little three by five index card. No cell phones, no internet, just hard copy paper. Kept it in my pocket and all day long, I'd pull it out. And every once in a while, I would just read a scripture out loud about myself, about who I am in Christ. And you know what I found out? You know what I started saying? I'm no longer that bad person. I'm a new creature. I've got new interests. I've got new desires. And I would hear something say to my mind, you're not really changed. You still want to do some of those same old things. I said, that's not me. That's my flesh. That's not the real me. The real me is a brand new person. How many hear me? Number five, the inward sign of the new birth is the desire to please God and to forsake sin. 1 John 3, 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. They can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. How many know the telltale sign that you're a believer? On the inside, you want to do right. Even though you might say something wrong, 
be something wrong, do something wrong on the inside when you do, you've got to make it right. Here's a little small microcosm of that. Yesterday, watch this. This just, it works a thousand ways. Yesterday, um, actually Friday, Susan's mother would have been 88 years of age. She died in 2010. So I put a little thing on Facebook. Some of you may have seen my little picture of Susan's mother. Well, I made an error. I thought Susan told me her mother, her mother and father had birthdays, one one on October 4th, one on October 5th, and I got it backwards. And I put yesterday, today, which would, uh, I did it, when did I do it? I did it on Friday, didn't I? Uh, fifth, I said it was, her, her mother's birthday was really the fourth, not the fifth, but I said the, the fifth today. And because I said that and I wasn't right, I had to go back and edit it and put yesterday because it wasn't right. Why? Because when you come to Jesus, There's a nature inside of you that has to be right. That has to be honest in everything you do. You might think that's a a nothing thing, but for me, it's a big thing. I have to be honest with all of my words, with how I live, with how I respond, with what I do, because there's a new nature inside. And that's the telltale sign that the life of God has come inside of you. How many hear what I'm saying? Lastly, number six, this new life. you got to nurture this new life. In weeks to come, we'll talk about this in detail. This new life must be nurtured. A little baby has to be nurtured. you got to feed it the milk incrementally. It wakes up in the middle of the night. Every few hours, you got to feed it. you got to feed it. It's got a raffinous appetite because every cell of its body is, is molting and forming and growing and changing. And, and, and the Apostle Peter says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. The basic standard that causes spiritual growth is the Word of God. Just like a mother's milk is the best milk for a little baby. My daughter just had her second child, my fifth grandchild, Sasha. And, uh, you know, she's feeding that baby constantly. That mother's milk is the best nutritional source available for that baby. And the best nutritional source for a believer to grow spiritually is the Bible. And here's the challenge we have today. We are so busy. There's so many things that are wanting our attention all the time until you have to, on purpose, carve out time to be with God. How many hear me? And I want to encourage you. One thing that has kept me going all these years is I have carved out. In fact, in my early years of ministry, God challenged me to get up early. I'm not a morning person. Be a morning person. Make yourself a morning person. I started getting up incrementally, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes plus early, and started reading my Bible every morning. Y'all, this was, this was back in the early 80s. I had known the Lord for several years, but I had this yearning inside for Jesus, for the things of God that just could not be sated much like a little baby can't be satisfied it's always crying for mama I want more food I want more milk and I, I was that way and God said give me your morning commit the first part of your day to me and y'all it's the best thing I ever did in my whole life and now as an older person I can say the thing that's kept me true all of these years is is feeding on the word not just reading it but reading it with the idea Lord if there's something in there you want me to do I'm gonna do it If there's something I'm doing I shouldn't do, I'm going to stop it. If there's an attitude that I need to forsake, I'm going to forsake it. If there's some way of speaking that I need to stop, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to do what you said. John 8, 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you're really my disciples. You'll know the truth, 
the truth will set you free. Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily food. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart.